Chapter 13 of There's Laughter in the Air Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Dorr. There's Laughter in the Air Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows by Jack Gaver and Dave Stanley. Chapter 13 The Colonel. Colonel Stoopnagel. On October 10, 1930, a well-padded, harassed man of 33 named F. Chase Taylor was pecking away at a typewriter in radio station WMAK, Buffalo, New York. His stubby fingers were turning out a peculiar type of prose, known as continuity, that would have made Shakespeare turn in his Dramatis' Guild membership card. Suddenly, a blonde, slim fellow named Bud Hulick, the station announcer, burst into the cubbyhole where the writer was trying to dream up new ways to introduce old songs. "'The CBS line is broken down,' Hulick said, acting as if he was about ready to follow the line. "'There's a hurricane along the coast. We have fifteen minutes to fill. What are we going to do?' Taylor didn't look stunned. He was. He contributed a profound echo to the dialogue. "'What are we going to do?' I've got it, Chase, Hulick finally said. Let's just talk. Whatever we say will be better than silence, I hope. So the continuity writer and the announcer, a couple of obscure fellows at the mercy of a hurricane, went on the air. They had no script or notes. They had had no time to discuss what they were going to say. They just talked. Whatever popped into their heads went on the air. Apparently, it was funny. Listener response to the impromptu program was remarkable. They got 15 letters the following day. At first, they sort of circled around the mail like Indians around a wagon train, half afraid to close in and have it out. Then they took the plunge and came up with things like, Wonderful! How long you birds been on? When's your next program? The upshot was that officials of WMAK decided to put them on the air regularly, and they adopted the billing of Stoopnagel and Bud. They specialized in madcap, uninhibited, impromptu humor. For example, they gave Buffalo listeners an alleged eyewitness account of a daredevil stuntman walking up the side of a building, a description of a man trying to deliver a kangaroo to a housewife. The gloom chasers, as they also called themselves, would run out of talk occasionally, and they made no bones about it. Listeners would hear Taylor lament, Bud, I'm stuck. I can't think of anything to say. Don't worry, Stoop, you always think of something. But Bud... And so on until they were off on some other mad discussion of a subject that would crop up by the merest chance. This business of letting the listeners know that it wasn't always easy to be funny caused a lot of comment, which did the pair no harm. They were unpredictable. Stoopnagel might suddenly break into any part of the program with some such sudden request as, Bud, will you please scratch my back? The microphone would pick up the sound of scratching, and then they'd be off again pursuing the interrupted train of thought, or possibly forgetting about it altogether and following a new line. In 1931, CBS brought the team to New York, and to countrywide attention. They quickly built up a faithful following, it is nothing against them that they did not become the most popular comedians in the business during the seven years or so they were together. The type of humor that Taylor dreamed and wrote was and is a bit on the special side. 
Some people just don't go for it. Those who do swear by it and at those who don't. Frederick Chase Taylor was born in Buffalo on October 4, 1897, the scion of a lumber business. As a child, he was more of a student than a neighborhood cut-up, although from the age of 12 he was dabbling in amateur theatricals. He got his first laughs when, while singing before a large audience, he forgot the words and plowed bravely through to the end with something that might have been the forerunner of the boop-a-doop, vo-do-dee-do type of vocalizing. The crowd loved it. They thought he was a comic. He attended Buffalo's Nichols School and subsequently went to the Montclair, New Jersey Academy, where he collected such things as a medal for excellence in Latin and the all-around championship in swimming for two years. After that, he went to the University of Rochester, New York, and escaped with a B.A. At the age of 20, he joined the U.S. Naval Reserve, serving from April 12, 1917 to December 24, 1918. When he was discharged, he joined his father in the lumber business, which meant to him little more than a lot of board feet. Later, he joined a stock brokerage house as vice president. Those were the days when stockbrokers were popular fellows. Taylor didn't let business interfere too much with his hobbies of amateur dramatics and writing. As early as 1925, he was heard over WMAK in a comedy act called Nip and Tuck. This, of course, was a time when hardly anyone thought of radio as more than an avocation. When the stock market crash came along and the lumber business fell off in the subsequent depression, Taylor began to look at radio with an eye to its possibilities as a livelihood, and didn't hesitate when he had a chance to catch on with the Buffalo Broadcasting Corporation, which ran WMAK. He was an actor, continuity writer, announcer, and production man, and fortunately, there was enough of him to go around. That was where Hewlett found him on that fateful October day. Taylor and his first wife, whom he married June 21, 1919, were divorced in Nevada in February 1936, after a separation of several years, they have a son. Taylor married Kay Bell, a former newspaper woman and secretary to orchestra leader Paul Whiteman, in Baltimore a few days after obtaining his divorce. The Taylor-Hewlett team was so unorthodox that for a time after they came to New York, they didn't attract a sponsor. A state of suspension which they used to publicize on their program by chanting, They haven't got a sponsor! However, they did get sponsors subsequently and were in the big money for about five years as a team. In the Radio Mirror magazine, Taylor once had this to say about sponsors. First, we built up a reputation for doing our stuff, stuff we thought funny on the air. Then a sponsor would come along and hire us for a show. Right away, he would start to change our act. He would insist on our doing what he thought was funny. Naturally, when we did this, we weren't funny at all because we weren't ourselves. Confidentially, what happened to Stoop and Bud back in the 1930s still goes a decade later, only more so, if that is possible. There are a few specific molds for radio comedy, and if you don't fit, brother, it's just too bad. Taylor believes there is such a thing as being too commercial, a word which is the clincher to any argument with the program builders. A program built on plain jokes has no flavor, no tone, Taylor argues. Anyone can tell a joke, if it is handed to him in a script. Of course, that is only my opinion. And of course, he's being a bit too arbitrary there. 
trying to pin down the particular style of comedy of Colonel Lemuel Q. Stupnagel is not easy. Fred Allen, in a preface to Stupnagel's book, You Wouldn't Know Me from Adam, which was published in the fall of 1944, has this go at it. Life to him is the tilt of the cuckoo's wing. Today, the colonel is known to his millions of radio fans as the titan of trivia. He has been chosen pin-up boy in many of the country's leading psychopathic wards. Incidentally, the book, which sold very well, brought the colonel a lot of fan mail from people wanting to know why he wasn't on the air. Sponsors, please note. But there was one crabbed individual, undoubtedly a poor thing indeed, who wrote that he believed it would be a fine idea if, in the future, Allen wrote the books and Stoopnagel the introductions, which gave Stoop an excellent idea for the title of his next literary effort. It will be called simply Introduction by Fred Allen. Writing humor is a serious business with the colonel, just as it is with most people who dabble in the trade. You keep seeing things in a distorted light, he explains. You look at a scene or an object cold-bloodedly, wondering if it really will turn out to be as funny in the script as you think it is at the moment. The colonel is long on whimsy as a source of comedy, and he says it's something that can't be learned. It may be latent or dormant, but instructors and classes can't teach it, and he deplores the popular insult type of comedy. Anybody can do that, he argues, while looking around ready to duck any flying missiles. It's not creative, just an easy way out. The whimsical side of the colonel is best demonstrated by a couple of his standby formulas. First, there are his inventions. Upside-down lighthouses for submarines. Red, white, and blue starch for keeping American flags waving when there is no wind. Rungless ladders for people who want to wash ground floor windows. Round dice for those who would rather play marbles. The colonel is also a man of definitions. These consist of taking an ordinary sentence, describing something, and turning it around into a quaint form that almost sounds like some language other than English. There is one development in radio comedy that has the colonel's approval. That is, the kitted commercial. Before, a comic would slave to get the audience in a light frame of mind, only to see it murdered by a dreary, dull commercial, he says. Now copywriters have thrown away the bludgeon and are using the rapier. This helps the comic overcome this stop-and-go tempo. Stoopnagel has by no means been inactive since he and Bud split up the team. He has done radio shows. He writes prolifically on radio and humor for magazines. He writes books and does humorous newsreel commentary. He is neither gone nor forgotten. Bud also has had some good radio spots in recent years. The colonel will go down in radio history as an individualist, an individualist being, by definition, a la Stupnagel, a guy who, when he is in a crowd, is never lonelier than, only more so. End of chapter 13. The Colonel, Colonel Stupnagel.